Hello, once again, fans, and welcome to another edition of the CIIC cast. I am your friendly host, Joel Cookson, at least I hope I'm friendly, and we are very happy to have you along with us. This is going to be a very, very full episode of the CIIC cast. I think the, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't even think. The general conventional wisdom, that's what I wanted. Conventional wisdom on podcasts is that they're not supposed to be more than an hour. This one is probably going to be well more than an hour. We have a lot of guests lined up to talk about the CIAC Winter Championship season that just concluded. So I am going to waste very little time in my introduction, but we are going to have, in order... Rich Gregory from the Danbury News Times. He's going to be talking about the remarkable season that the Danbury wrestling team enjoyed. Stephen Cusano from the NFHS Network is going to break down the boys' swimming championships. Lori Riley from the Hartford Current is going to talk a little girls' basketball. Don Boyle from the NFHS Network is going to talk to us about the boys' ice hockey championships. And then we get two gentlemen on our final interview as Don, excuse me, Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register and Tom Yance from the Hartford Current join us on a little conference call to talk about the boys' basketball championships and season. So that is a lot of guests. It's a lot of conversation. This is what happens, apparently, when uh, I don't host the podcast for about a month. So we, we're trying to get back into it here, get back into the rhythm of things. We got the championship season concluded, and we've got ourselves a very, very jam-packed CIAC cast. So I am not going to waste a lot of time with my intro. In fact, I'm not even going to waste much time telling you things you might have missed, because I think you know what's on CIACsports.com right now. It's lots of championship information. We did a championship headquarters with lots of game stories, results, links, all that good stuff, stats, it's all there. We did a linked-up winter championships, which has 36 stories on state title winners from the winter season from their local media outlets. Hope you will check that out as well. And, of course, always go to Tournament Central for all of the relevant information. So that's uh, that's just a few of the things you might have missed. There hasn't been much uh, much uh, other than championship content on CICsports.com. That's what happens this time of year. But check it all out. Lots of good stuff there. We hope you'll enjoy it. Hope you've enjoyed uh, going through and checking out the the CIAC championships with us. Uh, be sure to go to the NFHS Network. NFHS Network slash CIAC is where you can check out on-demand broadcasts of the Boys and the Boys Ice Hockey Championship, the Boys Swimming Open, the Boys and Girls Basketball Championships. We've got some semifinal action in there as well from ice hockey. Uh, parts of the Wrestling Open are there as well. Lots of good stuff on demand. Check that out as well. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports. You can email us CIACcast at C-A-S-C-I-A-C dot O-R-G. That's a good way to get in touch with us as well. So lots of good things. We hope you will uh, keep tabs on everything that's happening. And again, I'm not going to waste any more time because we have a lot of guests, a lot of conversation to get to. Let's get right into it. But oh, first, of course, we do have to remind you our message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. The weather uh, has not been very good, but even when the weather is good, you are going to want to keep your phone away when you are in the car. Put it in your pocket. Put it in the center console so you can't look at it. Put it in your bag. Keep it in the back seat so you're not tempted. Do not drive distracted or talk on the phone when you are behind the wheel. It is a bad idea. It is too risky. You're putting yourself in jeopardy. You're putting other people in jeopardy. Not worth it. That's the, that's the bottom line. It is not worth it. 
nothing, no text, no call, no email that you receive is that important that you need to put yourself uh, in harm's way to answer it. So please press play on the CIAC cast if you're in your car, then put your phone away. One text or call could wreck it all. That's the message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. You know what? I'm not even going to do my transitions this time. We're just going to go right from one interview to another. So if you uh, check us out. Oh, you know, the one thing I did forget to mention. We want to, uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, if you subscribe on iTunes, please leave us a review. Rate us and leave us a review. That's a, a good way for us to, to get a sense of how, just how many people are listening to this year fine podcast. So we would love it if you would do that for us as well. Okay, now I'm really getting into it here. We, uh, I don't think I'm even going to do any of my little introductions and, and transitions in between any of our interviews here. We're just going to go boom, 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 boom. If you look on the CIAC cast on the webpage, you'll be able to see uh, where the uh, the breaks are if you're looking for certain uh, interviews, certain sports covered. But we're just going to get right to it because we got a lot of people to talk to and I'm not going to uh, waste any more of your time. So let's start it off. Let's get on the phone with Rich Gregory from the Danbury News Times. He's going to talk to us a little bit about Danbury Wrestling. Then we're going to roll right through and I'll be back with you at the very end of this here podcast to uh, to wrap things up. Very happy to be joined now by Rich Gregory of the Danbury News Times. Does such a great job covering uh, high school sports out in that part of the state. Not someone we've had on with us before, so we're very happy to uh, to have Rich with us. Rich, thanks for uh, for joining us today. Sure, thanks for having me. Well, we wanted to get Rich on because uh, lost maybe amidst all of the uh, the basketball and the hockey and and all that craziness, and along with the you know a snowstorm or two, uh, was the conclusion of the CIAC wrestling season. We talked a little wrestling on the podcast before the tournament started, but then we didn't really get a chance to to dive into it and. Uh, afterwards and and one of the sto- real big stories i think from the high school winter season was the uh the really dominant performance from the danbury uh wrestling team so i wanted to to chat with rich a little bit about that and and rich i guess we'll start maybe if we could kind of going back to the beginning of the season if you could go back with us all the way that far and and sort of feel like was this did you have any sense and did the team have any sense from what you've talked to them about you know maybe the level that this team was going to get to and, and, you know, that they had a feeling that this might be kind of a special year or did this sort of build as the season was going on? Sure. You know, and I, uh, when I spoke with uh, Ricky Shook, uh, the Hatters coach at the New Englands after they won the New England championship, um, he said that uh, if we had expected, uh, if we had said that we, uh, if we had asked him if he expected this at the beginning of the year, uh, he said we were crazy. Um, so this, uh, I mean, the Hatters are always very good, yep. but uh, this even goes beyond uh, just being competitive and, and winning the state championships and stuff like that. This was a, a really special group, and they, uh, and they did something that uh, hadn't been done in Connecticut uh, since 1992 uh, in winning the uh, New England championship. So, um, but I know uh, going into the season, they had uh they knew they had a solid group mm-hmm. um and you know a lot of it you know on paper uh you know they looked very good but uh you know it a lot you have to wait and see how things are going to all pan out sure. and uh as the season went along um you know they just keep getting better it seemed and uh i know they they went in uh jacob camacho their uh 120 uh wrestler uh, had been an All-American um, at, at the uh, Super 32 National 
uh, tournament in uh, North Carolina in October. So that was kind of a uh, a hint at what uh, the uh, the team might have been able to. You know, it, it was kind of a, a uh, kind of foretold what was uh, to come. Sure. Uh, you know, with the great things that this uh, team accomplished, and then um, you know, as they went through the dual meet season, it just seemed like um, you know uh, another strong year for Danbury, but then once they got to the championship meets, then it really started to, uh, to snowball and they, uh, they just, uh, they, they just dominated from there. Yeah, no question. And uh, it's interesting, as you say, you know, the, um, you know, talking to, as we said, we talked a little bit about the wrestling season and the postseason before things started. And, you know, there was, uh, it seemed like there was a couple teams maybe in the mix, uh, either both in double L and in the open, which Danbury uh, ultimately both, you know, won both of those things before moving on to New England. Um, you know, what was the what from from talking to the coaches and, and from what you observed, what did you feel like was really sort of the key that you know kind of carried them and, and went from you know okay this is a this is another strong Danbury team to oh my goodness they're uh, they're doing things we haven't seen in quite a while here both uh, you know in the championships in, in in the CIAC and then in the New England meets as well. Right, right. Well, I think um, the the top few teams in our area. Um, Danbury, Newtown, New Milford uh, being among them, mm-hmm. um, they all had a, a, a group of uh, elite wrestlers at the front that yeah. you knew were going to do well, um, and they all did, and that was you know expected. And every year that seems to happen with those teams. Um, but with Danbury this year, I think what happened was they had a bunch of other kids really rise to the occasion. And um, and win some titles and score a lot of points at these tournaments where, um, you know, wasn't necessarily expected. Yeah. And 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 that really gave them a big boost. And they brought uh, eight kids to the New Englands, which is you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that you know, right off the bat, you know, heading to Providence that weekend, uh, they knew they had. A chance just with that many wrestlers, and you know, assuming they were going to all score some points, which they all did. So, um, you know, once uh, you know, it was it was really the, the 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 kids that maybe weren't the most elite wrestlers on the team. Once they rose to the occasion, um, it, it made it just uh, such a solid lineup that uh, they scored so many points in these championship meets. Yeah, no question. And looking at the, you know, and you look at the the point total uh, from the Open Championship where they they scored over two hundred points, two hundred and twelve and a half to be uh, precise. And looking back at previous years, that's uh, that's not a level that a lot of teams have gotten to in that meet. What a what a, you know, sort of what sense did you you get from the team, you know, and talking to the coach and the athletes, you know, that the what was sort of their their feeling and their reaction to to you know putting together this kind of special season and uh, and you know what what was sort of the the reaction. From from that group. Oh, sure. You know, they obviously were, were thrilled. And, uh, you know, for all of Danbury's success in the last 20 or 30 years uh, in wrestling, they'd only won the New England tournament once, and that was in 1990. Mm-hmm. And they've had some fantastic teams come through sure. uh, in the years since, obviously. But they never were able to put that together again. They took second in 2014. Um, that was... Uh, uh, to Mount Anthony, they lost to Mount Anthony by uh, 13 points in 2014 at the New England, and uh, 
you know, that, but they hadn't been able to win that New England title since 1990. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so obviously to to do it this year was a big thrill and, uh, you know, quite an accomplishment. Yeah, no question. As you say, really just uh, it seemed like, you know, they, they the the success just kept kind of building and, and the, every time you looked they were doing something else that was, uh, was, was impressive. Any sort of, you know, big, uh, I guess, big takeaways from, from this? You know, the, as you said, Dan Barry is, is a, a perennial power in, in wrestling, but uh, maybe hadn't been at its at the peak level that they'd been at in kind of the mid to late 2000s, uh, you know, once we got into the teens. They, they you know, they, they had a few open championships, but there had been a year or two here where, where it looked like maybe teams had started to, you know, overtake them a little bit. Was this sort of a feeling of, like, of the team kind of, you know, reclaiming its position a little bit? Did you get that sense from the group? Yeah, I guess to a point, you know, I think what's happened in Connecticut wrestling is that um, for a while, Danbury had been so far out in front just in terms of its uh, youth uh, feeder programs and things like that, you know, Mm -hmm. in the elementary schools and the middle schools. Um, What had happened was I think – other towns and other programs started to, uh, you know, kind of follow suit. And, you know, they were able to kind of catch up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, lately it's just been the case of Danbury, uh, you know, once again, just, uh, you know, pulling ahead and uh, and being dominant like it, like it had been. Yeah. What is uh, – have they started uh, talking at all about uh, – and this is obviously well uh, well ahead, but looking at the composition of the team, you know, how many how many seniors, how have they started, you know, thinking about what they, they might be trying to uh, to put together next season, or is that too a little too far in the uh, – too far ahead for them to, to sort of be focusing on? Yeah, well, I know uh, the, just from what we have this year, they have a lot of kids coming back. I think they obviously graduated a, a talented senior class, but um, there's a handful of kids coming back that are, are like top level wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, kids that competed in the uh, New England and, and stayed open and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's looking good for Danbury uh, the next uh, few years, I would say. Just, uh, you know, they had a couple of freshmen do really well. Uh, you know, place uh, in the New Englands and and that kind of stuff. So it, you know, I don't think they're you know predicting a uh, another New England title next year. Sure. That would be nice, but it's a little premature for that. But certainly, I would think uh, they they hope to be in the mix. Yeah, and uh, you know, and from a outsider's perspective, I would say you know that's a pretty reasonable ex- expectation. Yeah, no question. They they certainly uh, have have, uh, have little reason to doubt that that would be the case. And as you pointed out to me, Rich and I were able to chat uh, briefly at the the basketball championships this weekend. You talk about the kids uh, graduating and moving on. Uh, one of the former Danbury standouts, Kevin Jack, uh, enjoyed a third place finish at the uh, the NCAA championships this past weekend. He's wrestling at North Carolina State. So uh, uh, the uh, the impressive season for Danbury wrestling and former Danbury wrestlers uh, continued. Uh, at, at the collegiate level, so really just a big year for that uh, for that program. And, uh, and and Rich, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us about it. It really was uh, was worth it. And I know it was a, a few weeks ago, but we felt like it was something that deserved a little recognition because, as you said, it had been uh, been quite a while since a Connecticut team put together this kind of season that uh, that Danbury did. Sure, certainly, it's always fun to talk about Danbury wrestling. <laughs>
We are very happy to have with us today uh, Stephen Cusano, who was on hand for what turned out to be maybe the uh, the championship event of the weekend uh, at the uh, the Boys Swimming Open. Stephen, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, Joel. Thanks for having me. My, it is our pleasure. We really uh, wanted to, to find somebody to talk about what, uh, what, as I said, turned out to be quite a uh, exciting and dramatic uh, Boys Swimming Open Championship. Greenwich uh, earning uh, another title, which has become sort of the norm for them, but uh, not the fashion that they've uh, become accustomed to over the past few years, barely squeaking past uh, Pomperog. So, Stephen, why don't you kind of you know break down for us and, and really sort of walk us through what that, uh, that conclusion of that meet was like and, and sort of how it played out as it, it became clear that we were going to go down to the wire on, on the team competition. Well, absolutely. Like most of you guys know, Greenwich has, in the last 49 years, has won 34 state open titles. And last year they had four All-American seniors graduating, so they didn't really know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And, and Pomperegg being the perennial team that always is there in the class, I believe L, and what they're doing is always having seniors, always having production at the top level, top 24 swimmers. So it came down to the last relay. And actually, Pomperog was seated second, and they were winning almost the entire thing front to back until really Kieran Smith from Ridgefield broke the heart of Pomperog faithful and touched them out at the wall, which gave the six-point swing to Greenwich and giving them the state open title. Remarkable. And what would have happened if it was a tie, it would have gone to what's called power points. Now, what happens is they look at how many top places and how high each individual swimmer went, and Pompera would have taken the title if it wasn't for the heroics of Kieran Smith. Uh, and it's funny because at the end of the meet, they came over to the Grand head coach. He said, hey, do you want me to jump in the pool with you guys? <laughs> That's uh, that is quite a uh, quite a remarkable conclusion to uh, to things. So as obviously you know, everyone can see the scores uh, you know heading into that final final event. But obviously you know you have two variables there as as Greenwich is in that relay as well. So you're sort of trying to to keep track of where Greenwich is, where Pomperog is. How is that sort of playing out as you're watching it? You know, what do you what are you kind of keeping an eye on, and and how dramatic was that that final uh, that final relay? Well, my colleague Justin Abrams and I were looking at it and trying to crunch the numbers, as some coaches tend to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was not a surprise to the Pomperog and Greenwich team how close it was. And Greenwich actually did a disservice to themselves by only getting into the second consolation relay. So they couldn't have advanced themselves. Right. Even though they got fifth, fifth place as far as time, they were locked in at that sixth place. Right. So they, Pomperog knew they had to win the relay to tie to eventually take the Open Championship away from Greenwich for the first time since I believe 2010. Yeah, yeah, such a that's just it's just as you said, just a remarkable uh, finish. I want to back up just a second and, and sort of you know obviously you knew you were going to be uh, you know heading to this meet and covering it for the NFHS Network, and I'm just curious what your sort of. Uh, you know, maybe not if your prediction, but obviously you, I'm sure, took a look at the, you know, the sheet, the heat sheets, and you know the swimmers. You know, kind of what maybe to expect. What were you expecting in terms of the team competition? Did you think this was, you know, obviously we knew it wasn't maybe a, the the vintage Greenwich team that we've seen over the past few years, but was was this kind of what you expected? A, a pretty night tight uh, tight competition, or, or was it surprising to you that it that it did, uh, you know, come this close? I think we always talk about how Greenwich is this great team and they're always putting together competitors at the high level. And the fact they had All-Americans graduate last year and they're kind of a relatively young team with a lot of question marks, they were still the favorites to win it. So I think you got to really tip your hat to Pomperog 
and the fact that they competed and they got themselves that level and were just so close to glory. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's really cool to watch um, the whole team support it and the whole the whole area of New Haven kind of be electric. Yeah, no question. That is, it's. Uh, I, I did a little little digging, uh, but after the the results came in, and it, I didn't have too much of a chance. I, I saw one. There's been one open, you know, maybe in the last 15, 20 years that was a little bit closer. But but this is about as close as uh, as the boys' open championship uh, team competition has been. So really, just a a remarkable meet and uh, and and a remarkable drama there. Uh, shifting gears over to, to some of the other, uh, you know, individuals that really stood out to you. What were uh, some of the performances that, you know, really kind of had you impressed uh, over the course of the day from, from an individual perspective? Well, we had three individual uh, records broken at this meet this past weekend. The first one um, being Kieran Smith of Ridgefield in the 200 freestyle. And that young man is incredible to watch. His length, his streamline his control in and out of the walls is something that we're not used to seeing at the highest, highest level, really. And we're going to continue to see it. The guy's only a junior, and this young man has one more year to kind of turn some heads here in Connecticut. Wow. Now, he also was the 500 freestyler. When he subbed 425, which is just incredible, holding 27 and a half second 50s for 1050s is just something that I can't even imagine. Yeah. So I also want to kind of mention Josh Wobaluski from Farmington. Mm -hmm. He also subs uh, 240 in the 200 and 230 and 430, excuse me, in the 500. So he would have been, you know, your champion if it wasn't for Kieran Smith having a once in a lifetime type guy that we're going to watch here. Yeah. Uh, so he deserves a little bit of credit too, all American consideration. And then Corey Gambardella, uh, Corey Gambardella from Branford Guilford, the senior who uh, beat the one-year-old record sent by Greenwich's own John Mentesi last year, something of 448-14. Uh, so that's pretty impressive, too, to have three individual state open records. It's not, Connecticut swimming is prevalent in this country for having fast swimmers. So to have three broken in one race is pretty impressive. Yeah, no question. And I know, uh, there were there any other uh, sort of events that really, you know, that, that stood out to you and just kind of the, the, the level of competition maybe at the top or all the way through uh, with the competitors? Anything else uh, sort of jump out at you from, uh, from that perspective? Yeah, I think we should go right back to the 500 again. We had four swimmers who subbed 440. And we had two swimmers sub 430. Mm -hmm. I've done a few of these championships at Rhode Island, in Massachusetts, New York, and it's you don't see this kind of production at a high school level. So it's just saying a lot about the club team, the year-round programs that are kind of prevalent in Connecticut. Yeah, no question. As you said, that uh, this is a you know this is a sport that uh, Connecticut can can kind of swing its uh, you know stand toe to toe with a, with a lot of other uh, a lot of other states around the country in, in the the caliber of uh, of athlete that we're producing here. Uh, also wanted to note you know and it is interesting we sort of uh, maybe take it for granted sometimes, but it is boys swimming and diving, and that's when we were talking about it in the office here. Uh, you know, after the meet on uh, over the weekend, you know, you look at that diving competition where where Greenwich was able to pile up some points and when you're looking at a team competition that uh, you know was won by such a narrow margin you, it's you can't forget about what they were able to do with the divers uh, in the open uh, you know the night before on Friday uh, that was able to sort of you know add a few points there that uh, that other teams weren't able to get so or didn't get I should say they're able to they're they're certainly uh, <laughs> able to compete but just wanted to to mention that as well. Yeah, Grant having the second and third place overall for the diving as well as somebody in the top 24 
and Popperog not having anybody in contention, that definitely helps. Yeah, no question. Uh, we should also mention Taiyang Zhang from Hans Madison, who's won the the State Open meter diving four years running now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tremendous competitor, and uh, yeah, really has. Uh, speaking of records, he's continued to to push those uh, those open records, uh, you know, along as well. Any uh, any other sort of surprises for you? You know, you talked about you know maybe trying to trying to guess what the how the team competition might play out in terms of uh, you know how close it would be would it be Greenwich again any other surprises anything else that kind of uh, that that took you a little little off guard uh, over the course of the day and as far as how things sh- shook out on the heat sheet not so well I mean you're seeing your top five teams are Weston Fairfield prep New Canaan Pomparag, and Greenwich mm-hmm. it's all the same players not really a lot of guys that come and go here but I think the biggest surprise would be just you know Kieran Smith and having an unbelievable swim and to know that he's only a junior and we have another year to watch this young man develop no question yeah really exciting stuff to to see and as you said all those uh all those records broken and it, it was just a uh, uh, I think memorable is probably maybe the best word to describe uh what went on at uh, at Kiputh pool over the over the weekend so Stephen we uh we appreciate it it's always a lot of fun and uh it turned out to be a real good one for you and uh we're, we appreciate you taking a little time to to walk us through it thanks so much hey no problem I'd like to uh, talk about swimming I like to talk in general so anytime you need me back on I'm welcome to be here Joined now by Lori Riley of the Hartford Current, who I was uh, lucky enough to sit next to for a lot of this weekend's basketball games at uh, Mohegan Sun, as she was covering the uh, the women the girls basketball contest there, and uh, here to offer a little perspective on what took place at uh, at the Mohegan Sun Arena this weekend. Lori, thanks for being with us. Sure, no problem. Happy to uh, to talk with you and talk a little girls basketball here. We haven't done. Uh, I always. Uh, you know, like to kind of wait and, and talk the about the season sort of at the end of the season here. So we've got uh, four championship games to kind of take a look at and, and try to get a feel for from this past weekend. We'll start maybe with the, the one that ended the weekend, at least on the girls' side, which is Daniel Hand coming away with the Class L championship against Holy Cross with a, a five-point victory. What sort of uh, stood out for you, Lori, with that Class L final that wrapped up the, uh, the weekend on the girls' side? Um, well, honestly, I thought that and honestly the Class S game um, were probably the two best games mm-hmm. of the weekend. So it was kind of nice to, you know, have the bookends there of the two the two better played games. Yeah. Um, the uh, I I was surprised by Class L. I have to say, um, I I honestly thought and probably everybody else thought that, you know, Capital Prep was just going to dominate and and win everything, and when they got beat by Holy Cross on the last second shot in the semifinals, that was pretty, that made everything really interesting. Um, it, not that it's not interesting that they don't win, but they've won for so many years. Yeah. Um, it kind of opened it up for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, um, I thought Hand, I thought uh, the, the coach, Tim uh, Treadwell, just coached a really nice game yesterday. Um, he sat out uh, Gabby Martin a lot in the first quarter, maybe first half, um, and she really fuels that defense that they played, and so she was, like, really fresh in the fourth quarter, yeah. and she really, really wore Holy Cross down. Um, the other thing, obviously, was the foul issue, you know, that Holy Cross got into the foul trouble, um, but that seemed to be a recurring theme throughout the semifinals and the finals when they put three officials in, mm-hmm. um, which I can talk about later, but I don't... I don't know that I particularly like having three officials after having two all season, but 
um, because there just seems to be more fouls and people get in more foul trouble and they're just not used to it. Yeah. But having said that, you know, I thought Hind um, was the better team. You know, they played they played very well and they managed the game very well. And even though their shots weren't falling or anything at the beginning of the game, you know, they just stayed patient and and eventually they did fall and you know their defense really won the game for them. So um, I thought that was a great game. Yeah. Yes, it really it did. Uh, yeah, as you said, put kind of a nice capper to uh, to the weekend. Uh, another team, uh, you know, that I think you could certainly say that maybe their defense won the game for them was uh, New London coming away with the the class double L title in a in a victory over Trumbull. What was sort of the the thing that you took away from that uh, that double L contest as New London came away with their second title in, in the last few years? Yeah, that was um, not a great game to watch. Um, I would call it sloppy. Um, which I think I did in my story. Um, there was a lot of fouls. Um, there was a lot of turnovers. I think there was like 43 turnovers between the two uh, teams. And, you know, like uh, the New London coach was saying, um, you know, Rosie Nicholson was their best defensive player, and she was in foul trouble. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you really couldn't see the full um you know the the full teams playing each other, and it was really I have to say it was probably a little bit disappointing um because of that so um Trumbull was very good um I think again they were just you know kind of hamstrung by the sloppiness of the whole thing, but yeah. um the whole game but uh yeah, New London was clearly you know the best team I mean they played well all year um I actually put them number one in my current rankings at the end of the year, mm-hmm. so uh, just because I figured whoever won Class Double L was going to be number one, because Double L was just really, really hard to win this year. So yeah. it was very, you know, top heavy with a lot of really, really good teams. So, um, so that was, you know, good for New London. I mean, they they played well, and you know, they had a lot of nice players, and they uh, they came out on top. Yep, and uh, and then we're we're kind of moving our way backwards here through the uh, through the schedule. Um, talk a little bit about Class M. New Fairfield comes away with a victory, a tight uh, tight victory, a three point win over uh, Bacon Academy in Class M, which was the uh, the the last game of the first session on uh, on Saturday. So going back in our memory banks a little bit here, but what was uh, what sort of jumped out as the story for you from that Class M final? Um, no, that was another one of those kind of sloppy-ish games with, um, you know, not a lot of offense. Um, it was interesting that, you know, New Fairfield, it was their first win since Jen Rosati played for them in 1992, mm-hmm. their first championship win. Um, so that's been a long, long time. Yeah. Obviously, their coach retired, longtime coach, and, you know, there were other coaches in his first year, and he wins a state title. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, Brendan Moore. Uh, I like Kristen Teklitz a lot. I thought she was great. Um, she's playing at UMBC next year. She really drove the team, yeah. you know, to the win. Uh, and Bacon, you know, they had a tough game. I mean, they they played some pretty good teams to get to to get to the finals. Um, and they kind of uh, they were kind of under the radar all year. They really, you know, they lost their point guard to the ACL injury um, in the summer. They they had to re kind of recalibrate their team and um, make one of their forwards into a point guard. And so for doing that, you know, they I thought they did, they did pretty well. I yeah. mean, that's hard to lose your point guard and make it to the state final. Um, they beat, I know they beat Cromwell. Um, they beat some other good teams in the, you know, in the tournament to get there. And then they just kind of went cold, you know, in the second half um, of the championship game. They really, they just couldn't hit anything and, you know, 
had some turnovers, and you know, New Fairfield played good defense, and uh, that was that game. Yeah, absolutely. No, it uh, and as you said, I think uh, the the player you mentioned really stood out as is one of the the premier kind of performers uh, from the weekend. Uh, Techlitz, I thought she had an outstanding game, and uh, the game you mentioned to to kick things off that uh, and did get us off on a good note. The uh, the now uh, sort of seems like annual battle between uh, Canton and Thomaston to open things up in Class S and uh, and start the weekend off. They get it started at 10 a.m. and uh, the you know as you sort of said, unlike maybe a few of the others, uh, a fairly high scoring game. Uh, what what jumped out at you from Class S as Canton was able to come away with a, a second straight title in in Class S. Um, well, again, Canton was kind of interesting because they lost, um, they lost some good players from last year's, you know, Class S team. They lost Maggie Tracy, who was a thousand point scorer, um, but they had Emily Briggs back, um, who was also a thousand point scorer, and she basically put that team on her back, and, and they, you know, they went to the finals. And when they got there, it was really nice, too, because a lot of other players stepped up, you know, and played well, um, in the, you know, in the final. So, uh, they had, uh, Abby Sharon, who was their freshman point guard. You know, she had 15 points mm-hmm. on Saturday. Uh, Sarah Bowman is their sophomore center. She played really well, you know, good defense against Casey Carangelo. Um, you know, Abby Skinner played well. Bell Magna played well. You know, they all really, so it, as much as it was Briggs kind of driving them, mm-hmm. um, you know the the rest of the team really really stepped up and it was it's funny because I, I always joke with their coach whenever I go see Canton they never play well and they've played well in the last two uh, state championship games and I've actually been there so I told them it's not you know I'm not the jinx it's, it's right. got to be something else you but. can't be blamed anymore yeah exactly they played really <laughs> really well that day I mean I saw them play in the semifinal game against Housatonic. Uh, last week, and that was probably one of the worst games I've ever seen all year. It was just so awful. There were so many fouls. There was just no continuity to the game. It was very low scoring. It was, ugh, it was just awful. And and even, you know, Brian said it after the game that it was awful, So and he's a coach. Um, so from that game, from a week later, to have them play so well, you know, the next week, uh, yeah. you know, it's truly a tribute to his coaching ability. You know, he really got them ready and got them ready for Thomaston and um and even you know the Thomaston coach um said that too so yeah. Yeah, no, it uh, and it's interesting that those two, as we said, the third straight year, the those three, t- those two teams have played in the finals, which is a first in both uh, girls and boys mm. uh, high school basketball championships. So a little bit mm. of history there, and uh, Canton able to come out on top. Uh, you, you know, I know talking to you, you said you know some of these teams you were more familiar with than others entering the weekend. Sort of, you know, what what team, maybe not to to sort of uh, force you to choose one, but you know, what were sort of the teams that obviously the winning teams, but you sort of that that changed your impression, or maybe you know gave you really a good impression of them just from the weekend. That really kind of uh, that you maybe think you'll sort of take away from the championship weekend. Uh, yeah. Just... Well, Canton's obviously one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have a. You know, I, I honestly didn't think that they would be making it to the state final this year. Um, I can't remember how many losses. Oh, they have four losses this year, but you know they didn't make it to the. I don't think they made it to the NCAA tournament final. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they just weren't because I, I think Suffield won. So um, they just weren't, you know, all together like the whole year. They were kind. It took them like all year to kind of figure out what to do, and then they figured it out when the best game that they're supposed to figure it out. And so it was, uh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. 
um, to see. Um, and Hand also. I mean, I honestly hadn't seen Hand play this year until the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, and they played very well in the semifinals. Um, and they didn't score as much in, this, in, this, in the finals. But just that defense that they play, gosh, that's the, you know, some of the best defense I've ever seen. It's so just harassing and, you know, annoying to the other team. And, I mean, they were right in Holy Cross's face, and they couldn't do any, you know, they, I mean, they did stuff because they have good players, but it was really hard for them, you know, to get shots off, to set up their offense. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a very good defense, and, you know, I, I was very impressed with that. Any uh, any other players that really uh, that jumped out at you from the championship weekend? I know we've mentioned a few folks, but uh, any others that uh, that sort of uh, stood out to you from from what you saw? Uh, well, you know, obviously Briggs is is good from Canton. Um, yeah, Kristen Teklitz, I hadn't seen her play. Um, she was very good. Um, most of the people we mentioned, mm-hmm. um, India Pagan from New London, is very good. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Gabby Martin uh, from Hand, although she had, you know, it's funny because she didn't have a great game offensively. I think she only had like four points in the final, but her defense was really good, and she did a lot of other things that were, you know, kind of she kind of filled up the box score. Right. As far as you know, other stats, um, she had you know five rebounds, she had three assists, she had three steals. So you know, she was somebody that was um, definitely you know somebody I hadn't really. Uh, and the other one I liked too was I liked um, I liked the girls from Holy Cross. They were very good. Miranda, the guard at Dallas Miranda, mm-hmm. um, she didn't really do anything in the second half of that game, which I think kind of hurt them. But um, I think that a lot of that had to do with hands defense. And I liked their post players too. I mean, they were very Mia Austin and Ayanna Ward. They were just tremendous against Capital Prep in that semifinal game. Mm-hmm. They just really, you know, they took it to Capital Prep and. There wasn't much that you know Capital Prep could do about it. So, um, but that was a very good team. That was good. They yeah. were good. Absolutely, and it was a uh, it was a, a very good weekend of uh, of girls championship basketball. Any sort of uh, you know now that we've uh, we've got the the season and the championships behind us, that uh, any sort of big stories, big uh, you know big takeaways from the year as a whole, and and kind of how everything ended up playing out over the course of the uh, the 2016-17 uh, girls high school basketball season in Connecticut. Well, I think there were, you know, I guess there were a lot of surprises that I didn't think, you know, teams that I didn't think would make it. You know, I mean, Bacon Academy kind of came out of nowhere to make it to the finals. Um, Canton, like I said, I wasn't sure that they would make it to the finals. Um, try to look at the other brackets here. Uh, let's see, Trumbull, obviously everybody thought they would make it, but... Um, New London. Um, I was surprised they beat Enfield by as much as they did. I thought Enfield might, you know, have a better chance of making it to the finals, um, but they they didn't. They lost in the semifinals. Uh, I think what else we got here? What's the other? Get my other bracket. Oh, L. Um, well, I mean, Holy Cross and Hand were the one and two seeds. So, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, you know, beating Capital Prep that that was one I thought would would make it to the finals, as I'm sure everybody else did too. So, right. Um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, most of the teams made it who were supposed to make it. I think you had a few surprises in there, mm-hmm. which always makes things interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's 
the way the season goes, I guess. Yeah, no, and uh, and as you said, a few teams you know that haven't claimed championships in in a little bit of uh, a little bit of time in uh, New Fa- New Fairfield. It's been a little while, and and Daniel Hand as well. So uh, adds a little right. uh, a little variation to the championship weekend, exactly. which is always a lot of fun. So, yeah, Lori, I uh, always enjoy talking to you. Enjoyed uh, watching a few games with you this weekend, and then uh, enjoy talking with you about them as well. So we uh, appreciate all the good work you do covering uh, girls' high school basketball along with other things for The Current, and appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks. We don't have uh, all that many traditions here on the CIC cast, but I think one that we've uh, we've been doing for at least a few years now is after the boys' ice hockey championships, we get on the phone with Don Boyle of the NFHS Network, who basically camps out at uh, Yale Ingalls Rink for the championship week, including the semifinal broadcast and then the championship broadcast. So, Don, we got to uh, check back in with you again to talk a little hockey. How are we doing? I'm doing great, Joel. Thanks. I've been sitting by the phone waiting for it to ring, and you finally have <laughs> called, so I'm excited about it. Well, it took me, you know, it took me three or four days to recover from all the excitement of the weekend. So uh, we we we'd like to keep you in anticipation. So let me uh, let me start off big picture here. It was a uh, you know very exciting weekend as it as it always is at Ingalls Rink. Uh, three championships, uh, a little bit uh, disrupted by the snow and the schedule, but we got them all in. Any uh, kind of big picture takeaways? What you sort of think was maybe the the big story overall from uh, from the 2017 uh, boys ice hockey championships? Yeah, actually a changing of the guard. We saw a lot of first-time champions and teams that have certainly started to uh, uh, know what it's all about to win. And uh, I think we're starting to see a new era of hockey here in the uh, state of Connecticut. So I think that's huge. You you didn't see the Notre Dame-West Haven. You didn't see Fairfield Prep. You didn't see Darianne there to defend. A bunch of new teams winning state championships at all three levels, so that's that's pretty exciting. That is exciting. I think that uh, I think, as you said, you know, gives a little bit of uh, maybe a little juice to everybody around the state, and kind of says, you know what, you can. Uh, this is possible here. We can. You can get in there and you can win this thing if uh, if if you really put in the put in the work. So let's uh, let's dive in. We'll go game by game here and get your impressions from the uh, from the weekend. The the one of those teams that you said a, a first time champion in Division Three. Woodstock Academy uh, uses a big third period to uh, pull away from Hall Southington. What were your kind of impressions, big takeaways from uh, that Division Three championship that started off the weekend? Yeah, they're pretty good. That's for sure. <laughs> they uh, a, a team that certainly can uh, overcome uh, you know some hardship and you know they they squandered a two goal lead uh, in that uh, win over Hall Southington. They came out and they struck quickly in the first period with a goal. They scored again in the second period. They watched, um, you know, Hall Southington come on back and, and cut the gap, and they opened up a two-goal lead again, and it was tied at three. And in the third period, uh, they just went to work from about the six-minute mark on, and, and there was uh, no stopping him from there. Uh, Nathan DeLuca was absolutely outstanding. He had uh, three goals in the game. He also picked up a helper, picked up an assist. So he was just phenomenal, and I thought he was the guy that uh, kind of led the way uh, for Woodstock Academy, who I hear after just four years, as a high school hockey program, may try to jump up a level or two. So uh, um, that's heartwarming to see a team that, that wants to take on that challenge and now jump up to the next level after an accomplishment. No, no question about it. And yeah, so you uh, just uh, uh, kind of generally, how you know how impressed were you? As you said, you know it's a first-time champion and not a very old program. Uh, you know you've sort of seen maybe this this quick rise here. Where how would you sort of what how would you take stock of that Woodstock Academy team at, at this phase of their. Uh, their sort of development as a, as a high school program? 
you know what? They're going to have to rebuild somewhat. I mean, a couple of their key players, and I just mentioned one, and Nathan DeLuca uh, is a senior. Uh, they got other guys that are seniors that help lead the way in Ryan Black, so they've been around that program for four years. But they seem like the type of players that have set the foundation, and they, they want to you know, be part of what history is at Woodstock Academy concerning ice hockey. And I think they've done that. So the underclassmen will certainly have something to build upon. And, and they, I think they all led by a great example, which is important. No question. So as you said, a, a very exciting start to the weekend. Well, then we'll move on to uh, to uh, Division Two, which was the uh, the matinee there on, on Saturday. Guilford coming away with the championship with a 5-3 victory over Watertown Pomparag. Your uh, takeaways from that Division Two battle, Don? You know, that was just, it was a great game. Uh, you know, 5-3, a final score. Guilford explodes for four goals in the third period. They had jumped out to a one nothing lead through one. And Watertown Pomperov, which is a very good team, by the way. And I think a lot of folks had picked them to perhaps win the entire Division II tournament if it wasn't for East Haven. But East Haven got beaten early, as you know, uh, in the tournament. So that was kind of a surprise. It opened the door for both uh, Guilford and Watertown Pomperov. But Watertown Pomperov showed that they had the ability to come back. They scored two in the second period to take a lead. Then Guilford all of a sudden just exploded mm-hmm. in the third period. You know, they scored at the 316 mark when Ricky Sandella scored. They scored again when Sandella scored at the 353 mark. That was his hat-trick goal. And then there they scored again at 1150 to put the game out of reach, and the last goal was into an open net. So their captain, their senior, Ricky Sandella, led the way with a hat-trick and was Absolutely phenomenal in both at both ends of the ice. He went from backboard to backboard, and I thought he set a great example. Yeah, no, no question. A big, uh, big performance there from uh, from Guilford Water uh, from Guilford to uh, to earn that Division Three championship. So they they were one that has won a few titles, but it's been a little while. So that's uh, as you said, uh, nice to see some teams that uh, and and maybe uh, you know looking at it, probably the the best season in the history of uh, of Guilford boys ice hockey. Really put together an impressive uh, campaign to, to to outlast a very game. Uh, Watertown Pomperog team, and then the uh, the Division One contest. It uh, it got pushed and delayed a little bit. We ended up finishing things up Monday night, but in that one, you have Ridgefield Northwest Catholic Ridgefield able to come away with the victory to earn that Division One championship. Their first championship in Division One. They had won a few years ago in Division Two. But what were your uh, your big impressions from that Division One battle, Don? That team is just good. I mean, they were <laughs> solid. They they went three lines deep. The defensemen were well-schooled. Sean Gallagher, perhaps the best coach right now in the state of Connecticut. They bought into his system, uh, so they did a terrific job. And they overcame the nemesis in Fairfield Prep. Uh, they did that in the in the quarterfinals. They had a battle back from two goals down in the third period, eventually winning in overtime to beat Fairfield Prep. And I really think that was a catalyst. Uh, West Haven was the uh, dark horse in the tournament, and, they handled them pretty nicely in the semifinals. And I think in the semifinals, they really showed the example of what they're all about. The Tigers are a team that would just wear you down. They had a 5-1 win there. And then when they went on to take on Northwest Catholic, uh, they were just terrific. Uh, you know, from the drop of the puck, uh, they scored at the 10:59 mark. They scored again at 11:14. So they were able to put some goals together in bunches and uh, opened up a three-goal lead when they scored again at 11:23. So that explosion in about 25 seconds or so. Uh, Nick Cullinan setting the tone, and Matteo Van Wee scoring a goal. Then you had Jeff Parcella, and that, that was it. Game was over. They scored three quick goals, and from that point on, they did a terrific job of just maintaining, and they held off a very feisty Northwest Catholic team uh, that, uh, you know, 
uh, played their hearts out and uh, just didn't have enough to uh, to really skate with Ridgefield. They just didn't go as deep. Yeah, no question. So a really uh, impressive tournament. I'm curious for your uh, for your take on something here. You know, looking at the the totals here, we had uh, uh, I believe 27 goals scored in the championship uh, in the championship here. A 6-2 win, a 5-3 win, and a 7-3 win by my. Uh, my very quick research here, that was the second most goals scored uh, in the ice hockey championship since we've had three divisions. So I'm just curious, from your perspective, was this just a year with, uh, you know, maybe the offensive talent sort of uh, outclassed the defense a little bit, some exceptional, you know, individual players? Any any sort of explanation for what, uh, what we saw in terms of these offensive eruptions uh, in the championship games here? You know something, I thought all the goaltenders had great moments in all the games. Sean Keegan's looked like he was very, very well-schooled for Ridgefield. He gave up just two. Hal Dwyer for Guilford uh, was was very even in net. He just gave up three goals in his victory. So, you know, when you're allowing a team to three goals and under, uh, you're doing a pretty good job, I think, in ice hockey uh, for sure. Caleb Wilcox and his win allowed just three, so that seemed to be the common theme there. Um, on the side of the uh, offensive explosion, you know, I'm just saying more talented players uh, handle the puck, more skill work, um, well school, crashing the goal. A lot of the goals came on second opportunities, third opportunities, so that's no fault of the goaltender. Mm-hmm. So I thought the goaltending was actually very good. I just think teams are well schooled and got themselves in the right position, and they shoot the puck so darn hard now, it's <laughs> difficult to stop them two, three, four times in a row, and I think that was evident. Yeah, no, as we said, uh, I think the only, uh, I'll have to go back here, it was a few years ago that I, I saw, I believe there was uh I believe 33 goals scored in the championship game a, a few years ago, but yeah, so certainly, uh, yeah, 2010 was the uh, the previous high. But just uh, just an interesting note. So curious if you if you had a feeling on that. Uh, give me uh, maybe one or two players from from each game that maybe you haven't mentioned yet. Maybe one from each team that really kind of uh, that jumped out in terms of uh, the kind of way that they played uh, in the championship games. Absolutely, we'll start with uh, Division Three. I think I mentioned Ryan Black. Uh, having a great game. Uh, Nathan DeLuca with his hat trick was certainly outstanding. But a guy that I really thought that, that might have been the glue was Avery, uh, Avery Riva uh, for Woodstock Academy. He, you know, he just kind of anchored, played a couple of different lines, and was able to anchor things down in the offensive end with his aggressive board checking and his fine play. He also scored in the championship game. Um, so, yeah, and he also had an assist. So I think he might have been the guy, the kind of the all-around guy that kind of set the tone for him. How about and, you know? You take a look in uh, Division uh, Division Two, as uh, if my memory doesn't escape me. Cam Bagnall, I thought the Guilford had a big game to defenseman, despite wearing number twenty three versus no number seven versus twenty three. That messes <laughs> all up. He was just a stalwart along the blue line for Guilford. A big, strong defenseman, able to get the puck quickly out of the zone. So I think that set the tone for Guilford and set them up on some terrific odd man rushes up ice. So he was certainly a catalyst. Um, in that Division Two game, in the Division One game, a terrific team effort. Uh, you know, it's it's very difficult to to pick one guy. Although Jack Stafford, number sixteen, he scored a goal in the third period, kind of put the game out of reach when he scored six fourteen in. Nick Cullinan, who uh, picked up the helper, had a goal and assist in the game too. So I thought those two guys in that line is kind of what they call their marker line, the line that goes out there and that will try to uh, really grind it for you and set the tone. And I thought Jack Stafford did that on the penalty kill on the power play, 
and also at even strength. So Jack Stafford might be the guy you look at as the unsung hero for that team. Very good. Well, a lot of uh, of really good hockey. I know Don uh, loves being there for the for championship week, if you will, through the semifinals. He had three big days. Before semifinals. you shut me off, before you shut before you shut me off, can I just interrupt you for one second? You can because do whatever you want. You're, you're, you're running this thing. Who are we kidding? You're, you're in charge here. Each year in the in the championships, that's pretty scary. You have a lot of time in your hands. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. That is uh, well. I don't know about that much time on my hands, but uh, so um, yeah. So we uh, we we always appreciate it, Don. You love the hockey; it's very evident in uh, in talking to you, and we love uh, bringing you on to uh, to go through it with us. So uh, good work as always. I will our little shout out here. You can still catch the uh, the semifinals and the finals on the NFHS Network. You can find them on demand. Uh, by now, I believe they should probably be on demand, so you can uh, check out Don's fine work and, and see some of these uh, outstanding players that he was talking about. So, Don, we uh, appreciate all the work, and uh, thanks for checking in with us as always. Thanks, Joel. It was a very busy weekend at the Mohegan Sun as the CIAC crowned uh, eight champions, four in boys basketball, four in girls basketball this past weekend. And on hand for all of it was uh, Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register and Tom Yance from the Hartford Current. And those gentlemen have been kind enough to join us to uh, talk a little bit about it. Guys, thanks for being with me. Good morning. My pleasure. Always good to talk to you, gentlemen. So let's uh, let's start off uh, big picture here before we start, you know, getting in and, and breaking down some of the games a little bit. Tom, I'll start with you. Uh, big takeaways from the weekend. What kind of comes away as your big impression from uh, 2017 Boys Basketball Championships at Mohegan Sun? You know what it was? I mean, it's, it's a great venue down there, Mohegan Sun, and with the total attendance over 18,000, that's over 6,000. Uh, fans per game. I wasn't a math major at Providence College, but I still can divide those numbers. And, um, you know, it, it's a great showcase. Uh, I thought the emotions displayed on the court, both with the players and especially with the fans post-game, with, with players jumping into the crowd, I mean, that's real and genuine. And that really was my, my uh, you know, a big takeaway for me uh, besides just the pure basketball. Yeah. Joe, how about you? I, I agree with the sentiment, obviously, 18,000. Uh, I honestly think it's very good when the CIC has a double-O game on Saturday night. I think those are the two highlight games, the marquee games, so to speak. Nothing was against Al or the other one, but as you can see, they come for the crowd in New London. Girls brought a big crowd and had a significant home court advantage, obviously, and a lot of them stayed for the double-O boys game. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think the CIC has found the venue that is suitable and a lot of people do enjoy. I know there was a lot of discussion when it first came home about holding in the casino, but you know what? I think a lot of people are very happy there and a lot of people. It, you can never rip. You won't have to worry about turning people away. Let's yeah. put it that way. People are going to be able to come and see all the games. You can see and it's a reasonable fee for $10 for each of the sessions. I, I, I think it's all wins all the way around. Well, we uh, we certainly lo- love uh, love having everybody there and, and you know, it's uh, I was there early Sunday morning before the game started. And it's, you know, it's always get a kick out of, I think it was the Brookfield uh, boys team that came in and we'll talk a little bit about them later, but uh, that I saw kind of walk into the arena and see the, the, you know, their eyes get big and that kind of thing. That's always fun, certainly for us at the, at the CIAC. So you, uh, you talked about Joe, that double L game in boys. And uh, why don't we start there? Uh, you know, a team, uh, Joe, that you're very familiar with, Hill House. You know, they, they won the title last year and I think immediately uh, became the favorite at that point to uh, to repeat as double L champion as they, uh, 
you know, had a young team a year ago. A uh, little bit of an interesting road to get there, but they get back and win their 24th championship. Joe, what do you think uh, were kind of your big takeaways from from their run and then from the, the Class L championship game itself? Well, I think they were the team to be. They were number one in our the register game time CT poll for most of the year, and they took a fiesta when uh, Federal Prep beat them in February. Uh, when Joey Kastrick was hurt, and then uh, Notre Dame, West Haven, ascended to the top spot. And the two of them traded it back and forth uh, after he lost beat Notre Dame in the uh, SEC tournament final. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the thing. They, they're never afraid to talk about March. It's always about March and getting to the sun, and, and it was the fifth time they've been in the final, third time they've won it, and as you said, back-to-back. Uh, obviously, and doing one of their best players in Byron Breland, who was ejected from the uh, East Catholic game. When he received two technicals, and that team that loves to make, sometimes they have to manufacture uh, motivation. Well, they didn't have to worry about that because when one of the players out, they just rallied around that fact, and they took it to East Hopper. And in essence, the game was really over uh, by halftime. Yeah, Tom, you uh, you know obviously not Hillhouse, not a team you cover that much during the regular season, but you certainly see plenty of them uh, in the tournaments over the over the course of your career, and uh, along with some of the teams they played. What sort of uh, you know, what what really stands out to you in terms of what they do, both in terms of that championship game and just in general that's made them so effective uh, in in the tournaments over the years? One word, defense. <clears throat> it's a staple. Um, it won them the East Catholic game. Um, and everyone defends, whether it's, whether it's a, a guard, a forward, a center, whether it's Warren, Breland, or anybody else, they all defend. They all defend with aggressiveness. They all help, um, and they take a lot of pride in that. Um, one thing that um, Coach Sutton, uh, in fact, told me yesterday uh, when they were named uh, the number one team in the Hartford Current Final State Poll was that he was very – the proudest moment that he had, he said, was them shooting 20 of 29 from the free throw line um, because they were extra motivated because they shot a dismal 21 of 48 against East Catholic in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. So that showed him, and it showed really the fans, and it's a great example of the motivation and, and the spirit of, of this particular team. But, but again, I thought their defense was uh, exceptional, and it, uh, it really paved the way for, uh, for another state title for them. Yeah, no question. It did seem like it seemed like you know maybe it's it's easy to forget, but that kind of uh, emerged as the storyline in Class Double L through the tournament was uh, just a reminder about how well Hillhouse plays defense and and what they kind of hang their hat on. Um, you know, if there was a surprise and and maybe the certainly I would say the game of the weekend uh, and and a surprise in terms of a champion was uh, was Brookfield that team we mentioned in Class M. Tom, uh, your impressions from that Class M final as uh, as Brookfield was able to outlast a team you're familiar with, uh, Bloomfield. What kind of stood out from you with uh, with that game? You know, it, I was um, very impressed with Brookfield's um, poise. Um, Discipline and, and just their execution, and, and again, this is their first first time ever in a in a state final, and they went out and won it. Um, the one player that really stood out to me was was Austin De Silva, who, you know, and again, the about the emotion of, of playing in is in this venue. It was his last game as a basketball player because he's a soccer player, a striker who will be going to UConn to play soccer. He scored 19 points and he had 11 boards. He also had uh, nine turns. He uh, 11 rebounds was really, really uh, striking to me for this striker to, to, to show against a Bloomfield team, which 
had a very great late run to get to the to the post to the postseason, and uh, their dream almost came true, but it uh, didn't quite happen. And uh, all all credit goes to Brookfield. Yeah, no, Joe. I, I saw you tweet out that maybe Brookfield. You said uh, you know maybe not the team that a lot of people had coming out of Class M. Uh, you know what what uh, what stood out to you from that Brookfield uh, Brookfield Bloomfield game, and and maybe why people might have been uh, sleeping on Brookfield a little bit. Well, I mean, listen, the Southwest Conference is a solid league. Um, they, they did only advance out of the – they didn't get past the quarterfinals of the tournament. They lost to Bernal. I call a little bit of that game. So I, I probably, in my own mind, said, well, this is going to get far. And I forgot the fact that they are the only team in the SWC to beat Notre Dame Fairfield this year, mm-hmm. a regular season or postseason. And uh, it's something to be said about these teams. They grow up together. They play together you know, the public school teams, and, and they are able to grow and win a state championship and say, why not us? And it was, it was, the class was a true upset bracket with home field at eight, and what was Brookfield 11, yeah. whatever they were. Mm-hmm. So, it was, I mean, I, listen, people can say what they want, and maybe even talk they could be a dark horse, but that was it. Nobody else on the locker room thought they were going to win it. I mean, I, I think, it's, uh, let's be fair here. And, and you know what? They did it. They were able to do it, and they basically had Bloomfield the entire way other than what I was tied at one point late in the game. They were that good. They were that good, and you know what? Kudos to them. So. Yeah, no question. They, they really, and as you said, uh, certainly I would say in terms of uh, – competitiveness and, and, and tightness, uh, maybe the game of the weekend uh, on both the boys' and girls' side. Um, you know, teams, uh, a team that, that is very familiar to uh, Mohegan Sun, Trinity Catholic in Class S, uh, able to uh, to outlast a, a very game Westbrook team in, in the final. Joe, what do you, uh, what do you uh, sort of remember and take away from that Class S final between Trinity Catholic and, uh, and Westbrook as, as Trinity Catholic earns their seventh championship? Well, listen, Trinity Catholic has tournament pedigree is with with everybody else. I mean, that they I believe it's that's their seventh state championship and thirteen appearances under Mike Walsh. I mean, they've they their history in the last twenty years could compare with anybody else's. Um, Tavio and, and, and the boys, they were listen. They were just a little bit better than a team like Westbrook, which was like Brookfield, a team that had grown together over the course of a decade, and was able to put together this nice run. It's a shame they came up short, but you can't always win, and Trinity Catholic was just better this day. And uh, But again, a lot, a, lot, a lot of kudos to Westbrook for having uh, been able to win the Shoreline Conference for the first time, playing their first state final like Brookfield, and, and give Trinity Catholic everything it had before falling short. Yeah, no question. Tom, what about you? Impressions from that Class S final? Um... Very, very impressed with Westbrook. Um, Liam Bell and Muckle are been their workhorses all year. Um, they didn't shoot exceptionally well, but but neither did many of their teammates. I think they shot maybe 30% against uh, Trinity Catholic, and and again that that defense with Contavio blocking shots um, inside and being a force around the rim hurt Westbrook. Um, the emotions of uh, the Westbrook fans. I mean, I took that away as a, as a, again, a, a shining example of the spirit and the, and how genuine these high school championships are. The Westbrook fans were loud. They were consistent. They supported their team. And, and this was the first game. You know, this was the first game on Saturday. So um, they had um, a lot of support. And 
those were some of the things I took away. But but I, I thought it was a very, you know, in contrast to a couple, two of the other games, this was a very competitive game. Um, and Trinity Catholic, you know, just sort of held them off at the end. But uh, very, very impressed with Westbrook. But uh, Trinity Catholic's the, a, a veteran at this, so uh, no surprise on, e- on either end. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think maybe people weren't weren't quite sure how those two would, would square off, and it was a, a very uh, very tight game uh, all the way through to the end. And uh, so um, we talk about surprises. Not much surprise in Class L where you have uh, Sacred Heart playing Notre Dame of Fairfield. They re uh, a, a rematch from Class M uh, a year ago. Tom, uh, you know, this is an impressive run that Sacred Heart has been on. What uh, what was sort of the takeaway, the keys uh, to, to their victory in Class L from your perspective? They defense again was was really good. I mean, I would. I mean, again, the game you want to really dream about is Sacred Heart Hill House. We won't see it. It's not going to happen. Uh, but but those two teams can really defend. Sacred Heart's defense was was again exceptional. They they won despite not having their starting guard uh, Solomon, who tore up his knee uh, late in the season. But they had other players who stepped up, and and they faced. Some stiff games in the along the way. I mean, Windsor at Sacred Heart gave them a very tough test um, in a quarterfinal, and Middletown gave them a good test in the semis too. So, Sacred Heart did not breeze through this thing, but against Notre Dame Fairfield, they were clearly the superior team, and there was really no doubt. Um, the only doubt was what the far, final margin would be. Yeah. Joe, uh, what about you? You uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know, got uh, got to see this one as well. What uh, what stood out? What do you think is kind of the keys to the game uh, for Class L and Sacred Heart winning a fourth straight title? Well, I share a lot of the same sentiments that Tom does, but they actually, when you, when a guy Tom goes down and he's your leading scorer, you have to bet in your best player. You have to revamp how you do things, and I think they moved. They kind of made Gator Isaiah Gator a point forward, and, and they kind of went to him a lot more. And I think. Legend Johnson was a defense. Uh, among others, like the defense was very good as a team defense. To keep a kid like Tyler Bourne out of the lane when he was at will throughout the season, be able to get to the basket and find people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he scored 24 points, and he still was very impressive. But he didn't get to do the things he normally did because of the length, the size, and the way they, the hearts play defense. And four times in a row is four times in a row. Doesn't matter how you stack it. And 83 games against in-state competition, no matter how you stack it, is an impressive accomplishment. A lot of people are down thick and hard because of the system that we're in. But the wins are the wins. And that you can't take away from them no matter what position they're in. Yeah, I was gonna that uh, you uh, you lead into my next question there. Obviously, you know the the there's some some questions and a little maybe controversy, however you want to say it, about some of the you know championships. But it is four straight. They're the the fifth team now to win four straight titles on the boys' side, and uh, you both have uh, you know are very familiar with the history of Connecticut high school basketball on the boys' side. You know how how impressed sort of are you with this run that Sacred Heart is on? Whether it's the four titles or the you know the the eighty plus games without a loss in Connecticut. Uh, Tom, I'll, I'll start with you. You know, how do you, how impressed are you? You know, where does this sort of, you know, maybe stack up in your mind and into this run that Sacred Heart is on? Oh, I mean, I mean, it's exceptional. I mean, you can stack this up with with the Harding teams, with with any the Hill House teams, with with any of the great teams we've we've seen in the you know in the past in, in state history here. The one thing about Sacred Heart is, I mean, people say, and really it's true, if you didn't get them this year, you might not get them. 
you might not get them next year either, uh, most more than likely. So um, it continues, and as their, their coach John Carroll says, look, we know we have a bullseye on our back. It's as huge as anything. But the kids, the kids, the young men welcome that challenge. And whether you're Legend Johnson or Gator or anyone else, it's a uh, it's almost like you're facing another opponent with that, the challenge of, of the other team, uh, and and they thrive on that. But it, it, again, the numbers don't lie. It's it's right there in front of you, and you can debate, and people can certainly debate the parochial public school subject, which has been going on for uh, decades. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is these are the rules, these are the teams, and this team is um, great and. Um, I hope they move up to double L next year. And correct me if I'm wrong, they, they should go up there, right, Joel? Uh, not through our system, but they, they certainly they can opt up. They'll L is the highest they can go as long as their enrollment stays at okay. S. But um but uh Well but, yeah, we would love to see they... them go double L, I'll tell you that. Uh, at least the sports <laughs> fans, the basketball fans in Connecticut would say, you know what? Uh, take the jump. Yeah. Joe, what about you? Just sort of from a historical perspective, how do you sort of feel about this run that uh, that Sacred Heart's on? You know, this is as impressive as I've seen. I mean, I think the streak, the actual winning streak right now is 45 or a course that I had in my story. It's one of those two numbers. And and like I said, 83 against Connecticut competition. The last game they lost was Crosby in the NBL tournament final in 2014. It's impressive. There's no two ways about it. It makes them a legitimate candidate for number one candidacy. Uh, they, it's the what speaks for themselves. And like you said, they're going to stay in. Unless the tournament format gets revamped, they're going to be in the house. We're not going to see that matchup. But, uh, yeah, it, it, listen, numbers speak for themselves. It's very impressive what they have done. Historically, uh, yeah, you, I think you can put their, what they've done with a lot of other programs uh, in their winning streaks. But to be quite honest with me, the division, when, the, when the TNC had a Division One, Two, Three, Four, Five. Format in four, in four, four, five, oh, six. You knew who the best team was. There was no debate, and the Division One tournament was as good as you I've ever seen mm-hmm. in three years. That to me determined who the best team was, and you had no debate. Yeah. Uh, that aside, what they have done is very impressive. Yeah. Uh, you know, you sort of look at that, and just thinking it back to uh, to to my uh, high school days, but just to to not have an off day as a as a high school team for you know eighty plus or whatever it is against Connecticut teams is uh, is pretty remarkable when you're talking about you know yeah. sixteen seventeen eighteen year old right. kids. I I certainly have plenty of off days in the office now, and uh, but uh, don't don't get charged with any uh, losses because of it. How about uh you know I know we've talked about a few folks, but any. Uh, uh, Joe, and I'll start with you. Any players that really kind of stood out to you, uh, either familiar names, unfamiliar names, just from seeing all four games and, you know, kind of coming away saying, wow, that uh, that kid really impressed me? Well, as we said, with Sacred Heart has everybody back of note. So you can you can just move up and down. Uh, I'll go with Devon Warner from Hill House because he came in and he came off the bench in Hill House, as we all know, that it can go deep. I mean, there's, there's that. That ended up beating Weaver last year because when we went to the second overtime, Weaver had nobody left to go off that guy who had at least been in some games. The Warner, in the place of Byron Breland, I believe, was tied with Joey Kasperzik for uh, 19 points, I believe it was. I don't have it in front of me. Mm-hmm. But he comes off the bench, has eight points in the first quarter, and obviously he's going to be back next year. Uh, he's going to factor into what they do. 
uh, as a DeWall contender. If there was one person in particular, that would be the kid I, I would think of. What about you, Tom? Any uh, any players, familiar names, unfamiliar names, or just kids that uh, that really stood out to you over the course of the, the two days at Mohegan? I was very impressed with Tyler Bourne of, uh, of Notre Dame Fairfield. I have not seen him, um, and, and a lot of people upstate or in central Connecticut they haven't seen this kid play, and um, he was he was dynamite. And, and the 24, if he just played you one-on-one, I don't know if anybody can stop him one-on-one. He's that good. He's that quick to the ball, quick to the rim, rather. Great first step. So I was very impressed with him. One other player, um, or two other players, and I spoke earlier about one of them was Austin De Silva, the soccer player. Uh, who from Brookfield, who's, uh, who had 11 boards as a guard. But Russell Thompson Bishop of Bloomfield, again, he played his last game, too, uh, competitively as a basketball player, just like De Silva did from Bloomfield. He, um, all-current wideout, he's going to play football at Syracuse University. He played basically on one leg the last most of the last half against Brookfield because he really turned his ankle. He just said, take me up, put me back in the game and go, and he, I think he ranked, he ranked first in the state last year in blocks, and I think he, he ranked third this year in blocks. And, again, this is like his second sport. So yeah. playing on one leg, that's the kind of spirit that you see in these kind of tournaments. That's, that's one thing that I, that I definitely will take away, and I think everybody who has attended the games on Sunday will take that away also. Yeah, no question. It was a, a very game effort from, uh, from Russell. And, uh, yeah, as you said, the, the state championship wasn't going to uh, – didn't go their way at Bloomfield, but he wasn't going to, uh, to sit it out uh, in the second half there. All right, I'll just do final, uh, final impressions, even from the, either from the tournament, the season at large. Uh, you know, Joe, we'll start with you. What, any sort of uh, final takeaways, final impressions uh, from the 2016-17 the season or the boys' basketball tournaments at Mohegan? Well, there's a lot of impressions, but ones we haven't touched on, two coaches uh, I want to bring up. Um, well, Gary, and Tom is very familiar with him, Gary Barcher from Bloomfield. And there's something to be said these days. It's very difficult to coach as long as you coaches did in the past. For him, he, he lost it. He, he was not going to have, to have his job back. He was not going to be rehired at Bloomfield. He was going to fight his, to get his job back. It never got to the point he was rehired, and and he got to he gets to go out on his own terms this year. It didn't go out the way he wanted with a state championship, but he gets to go out on his own terms. Uh, Mike Walsh, who I thought would retire, it sounds like now he's going to come back for another year, but he's going to get to go out on his own terms. Uh, we're in a world today where not everybody is going to get that opportunity, yeah, basketball or otherwise. I think there's something to be said for that. I'm very happy for that fact. How about you, Tom? Final uh, final impressions from uh, from 2016-17, either at Mohegan or, or the season at large? Keep the basketball season going, and uh, especially if there's snow on the ground, keep playing would be my uh, my thought right <laughs> now. But, but uh, getting the, following up on, on Joe's comments about Gary Barcher, I mean, I've known him forever. And um, I witnessed, and, and anybody who was at the game courtside witnessed also, a parent of one of the Bloomfield players was jumping over the scorers, ta- leaning over the uh, the press row table to talk to his son during the game, during a timeout. And that's those are exactly the kind of things that paved the way for the Board of Ed in Bloomfield to uh, make their decision to uh, um, get rid of Barker and uh, Barcher. And thankfully, he fought it and he came back. But 
that on the downside was was is a very disturbing trend that's growing in the state from from fans and um, um, parents of of players from the stands. The, the kind of um, I think abuse would be the proper noun. It's just not warranted, and it and it's just not right. And and Barcher stood up for something that was right, and so that is a lasting memory that I will take away. Um, I also, in, in my dream world, would love to see um, Sacred Heart play Hill House. I would love to see um, teams of who excel be moved up a lot quicker than um, um, than the status quo. But again, those are rules that I have no control of. But I know the fans would would relish a game like that. Um, that's about it. A lot of great players and uh, a lot of great competition. Good stuff. Yeah, no question. And I know that uh, we, we, CIC is well aware that topic will will remain a, a popular one throughout the off season and uh, and all the way through the summer and into next year. I hope. And uh, and as you said, that that emotion of uh, you know that we love so much about high school sports maybe sometimes needs to be. Uh, directed a little bit more in a positive way than, than sometimes we see. But uh, hopefully, uh, overall, it was a great weekend at uh, Mohegan Sun, and you guys uh, did a great job covering it. Joe Morelli from the New Haven Register, Game Time CT, Tom Yance from the Hartford Current. Guys, we uh, we appreciate you uh, carving out a little time to talk to us and, and uh, going back over things at Mohegan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to all that. Realize this was a long conversation, but I uh, hope you enjoyed all of the chatter about the CIAC Winter Championships. We did, uh, in previous editions, talk a little track and field as well, so we hope, and some gymnastics, so hope that we got just about everything covered here over the course of our last two uh, podcasts, but uh, be sure to check them out. You can, uh, of course, subscribe, and then you'll get all of the podcasts automatically on iTunes, uh, and uh, we hope you'll do that, and as I said, hope you'll... Uh, Rate us and uh, and leave a review. That'd be very uh, very appreciative. Even if it's not a good review, I, I can handle a poor review if if that's uh, how you feel. But obviously, would prefer a nice uh, good review. So we thank you very much. We thank all the people for joining us: Rich Gregory, Stephen Cusano, Lori Riley, Don Boyle, Joe Morelli, Tom Yance, all for taking the time out to be with us. We'll try to get back onto a little bit more of our every other week podcast schedule here now that we uh, the craziness of the winter championship season has concluded but until the next time i am joel cookson we thank you very much for listening thanks for checking out the ciac cast we'll be back with you soon thanks for listening folks <laughs>